0: physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. The Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts is proudly sponsored by the Global Wellness HQ community. It's an online membership group where we meet, we share ideas, we share insights, and we all work together and help one another discover our own personal wellness journeys. If you'd like to join us, you can easily click the link below or scan the QR code, and we love hearing your stories. So we hope to see you in the community. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. I am really excited to have my friend, Dr. Maria Silva Palacios back. So welcome Dr. Maria. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, who you work with and what you do for your clients?
1: Thank you so much, Jeff, always a pleasure. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Dr. Maria Silva Palacios and I'm gonna start with that. I'm a native of Ecuador, South America been living in California since, uh, gosh, since I was six years old. Uh, for the last 20 years, I've been serving, I as serve as a fitness and health and safety professional. And last year, I completed one of my biggest goals that I've had in my life, and that was to complete my doctoral degree at USC, it rhymes, <laughs> in organizational change and leadership. Um, I am very excited that uh, soon I will call myself a published author as well. Uh, Late last year, I completed writing my manuscript for my book, and it's currently in the very last stages of editing, and the next steps will be to um, begin the publishing process. So what that... A little bit of a background of what I do, who I am, I mean, and what I work and what I do for my clients is post-doctoral degree, when I got my life back, I began to explore the world of consulting and coaching and specifically in the wellness, fitness, and also safety space. And then within that safety space, the ergonomic space, because that has been my um, expertise for quite a while. My bachelor's degree is in um, kinesiology, so it sort of just catapulted me into fitness and health, and and then in the corporate world, in safety, it catapulted me into ergonomics. I, I also love... serve. I'm sorry.
0: Just gonna say I love it because I think. <laughs> many people don't consider the impact of ergonomics on their work life, so.
1: Exactly, you know, I I was, uh, I love to, I always begin my day with exercise, and this morning, early, early morning, like, I watched the sun come up, it's beautiful, and was running a trail that I love with a friend of mine, and um, she was talking to me about these asymmetries and the shoulder pain, and we were discussing, you know, what's your work life like, you know, and and she was saying, I think it's my, I think it's my work environment. So we got deep into this conversation about ergonomics while we were running. So that was really funny, but you know what, it's so true. And I think it's uh, an area that although um, companies are aware that that exists, and there are programs uh, that have been designed to address those issues, there's a lot of smaller companies that don't know,
0: I love it, and I think that's one of the things I've seen, and and we'll kind of talk about this, um. But through COVID and you know people working from home, I think a lot of people got really comfortable to the detriment of of their, you know their physical health, and now people are going back to the rigidity of you know offices and and desks. So, um, let's let's kind of come at whatever you you want to come at it from that angle, but what are some of the things you're seeing now that the world has shifted back to the office?
1: As it pertains to ergonomics and just wellness in general, um, I've noticed that, first of all, we went from that being in the office all the time and then not being in the office at all, right? Where uh, the home space quickly became your office space. And of course, as a safety professional for different companies, I began to notice that, uh, as we worked in you know in this remote space, where it was that people were relying on you know the old school you know desk that they've had forever, you know a um, dining room chair as their you know their workspace chair, and so all these problems started because started to appear, right? These physical manifestations of not having an ergonomically safe environment. And what I'm noticing now that it hasn't been a hundred percent, let's all go back to work. Now people are exploring with the concept of hybrid, which is, you know, yes. a few days at work, a few days at home, or a few days in actual office space. But I've actually noticed that people now are more aware of how it should be at work because they had that experience during, you know, the COVID time that they felt the the, the ramifications of not having an ergo friendly environment, and they made it work however mm-hmm. they could. Or if they were fortunate and they had they did work for a company who allowed them to bring their chairs from work and provide them ergo friendly um, products at home. Then, you know, now that changed for them. But now they're back in the workspace, whether you know it's hybrid still or slowly integrating, they are, I think they're more aware. They're more aware that they need to to do something and continue to uh, pay attention to what their body's telling them.
0: Yeah. And uh, I actually have a, a colleague who does some, you know workspace assessments. And, you know, they found this huge jump in dissatisfaction when people returned to the office and and they found it was, you know, people were used to sort of the flexibility of, you know, I have to be home for delivery and, you know, there's the stress of being back in the office. Um, But it was also a difference in lighting, for example, you know, people had gotten used to um, having daylight coming in the windows versus, you know, fluorescent lights, Um, so it's been an interesting transition. So let let's step back. Um, first of all, yeah, remind. I, I'm you-
1: sorry to interrupt, oh. you. I would add to that too. I'll tell you, the driving time. Yes. I know that when I worked in a corporate environment, I drove a lot. A minimum sometimes, and I, and I live in Los Angeles, so you know a ten mile ride could be an hour and ten minutes. You know, so it just depends, but the driving component that added to the stress level of not only physically right because your body does you know um, react to that much time spent in one position driving and not to mention the stress with with the traffic itself but um I noticed that employees were you know to your point with your friend that that conducts assessments that the employees were had that 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 less of a stress there too if if they were someone that had to drive a lot in order to get their to their workspace.
0: Absolutely, and, and by the way, I actually heard a study recently, um, they found that people with at least a 24 kilometer commute lived longer, and I'm like, I just think it feels like it because, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who's like, oh, thank God I'm in my car, I can spend the next hour in traffic. Um, Personally, for me, I've been a work-from-home person since probably about 2012. Um, you couldn't convince me to go back to commuting.
1: Yes, I think the only advantage that I would see is, as I, as I mentioned, I would, you know, I drove a lot. I mean, I had to be in certain places, you know, like about 60 miles here from here, you know, 70 miles from here by 6.30 in the morning, which meant that my commute started, you know, before five a.m., and I'll tell you, there is sometimes when I think about, you know, you have, I get an offer of some kind, or some a friend of mine says, "Hey, would you consider, you know, coming to work for this company?" i like, I don't know. How far do I have to drive? Because it is, it is, it's nothing. There's nothing like being closer to home, or at least, you know, proximity is everything. Let's just say that I I yeah. talk about close proximity is everything.
0: I think I once spent, um, I was doing a tour in Silicon Valley. We were on a big bus and I think it took us three hours to go 15 miles. And I was like, I can't imagine this, you know, and the driver's like, oh, this isn't normal. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't want to know this is an option. You know, I'd I'd find a way to. You know, live closer, what have you. So let's talk about your thesis for a minute, because if if you'd remind me the title of your thesis, um, just for those listening, and this is why I reached out to you. So share the title of your thesis.
1: My title is Influencing and Motivating Employees in Organizational Injury Prevention Programs. It was an exploratory study. Uh, very specific. I um, did a qualitative study where I interviewed several utility linemen, and what I wanted to understand in their own words, right, using their own words, their experience, their perspective, is why or why not? Why were they or why were they not participating in An injury prevention program at this particular company, utility company, that that program was designed to reduce, mitigate, eliminate, prevent, you name it, strains and sprains, because strains and sprains consistently this I mean, I've done my research, you know, for my study, and then as a safety professional, that strains and sprains are the leading non-occupational, I mean, yes, non, sorry, the leading occupational injury in a company across America. Yeah. Right? We are all affected. 80% of Americans will suffer back injuries caused by a strain or sprain in their lifetime. So this is huge. And because you know, I had shared before that, you know, my my kinesiology degree catapulted me in the fitness industry. And then that was a perfect segue into the safety space, specifically around ergonomics and injury prevention. You know, I had a uh, mentor, a dissertation mentor who said to me, you know, Marina, whatever you're going to write your doctoral dissertation about needs to be something that you are a hundred percent passionate about because you're going to do a lot of research You're going to do a lot of reading and you're going to do a lot of writing. So to me was I loved, you know, been a exploring leadership and the impact of leadership for many, many years and then fitness and health and safety. And it was just such a perfect marriage of all of the things that I truly am passionate about.
0: I find it fascinating that you're studying, you know, why people who theoretically should be begging for a wellness program or an injury prevention, aren't taking people up on that. Um, totally random story. But once upon a time, a friend of mine was trying to recruit me for a job in oil and gas. And he was like, we're really desperate. We're going to pay a lot of money. We need somebody to start today. And I said, just out of curiosity, why is the job open? You know, I was kind of just making small talk. And he said, well, the the last person got his arm ripped off. And I was like, ow, that just doesn't sound like something I even want to consider. So what was the big aha? And, and maybe there was multiple, but what did you discover about the the resistance or the reluctance to to take part in these safety programs?
1: The beauty of conducting a, a very well-researched dissertation, doctoral dissertation, is that you you have to conduct the, the research. I conducted the research, you know, on this topic, and so the results that I was seeing around, you know, why people weren't participating, all led to leadership. You know, was the leadership um, role modeling? You know, did they, um, did were their actions and words were they congruent? You know, were there their whatever they ex- espoused were they Showing that with their actions. Now, as a safety professional in this specific utility industry, I had a hunch. I had seen it, right? I had seen it. The guys had told me, you know, why they weren't engaging, but I needed to know in a very objective manner. That's why I conducted a qualitative survey uh, study where I wanted to hear in their own words, their perspectives. And what I found was exactly that, you know, there were organizational barriers. You know, there were, for example, the culture, right? The culture of um, performance, productivity trumps safety. You know, Uh, but there were um, also the type of leadership relationship between employee and leader. I, uh, part of the framework that I utilized for my doctoral dissertation was the um, authentic leadership framework and so there were many questions in my qualitative study in my interview protocol that were to dive deep into the relationship between the employee the utility alignment and their and their supervisor and I did that intentionally because I wanted to see if these dimensions of authentic leadership if any of these leaders had these possess these attributes that if a leader is an authentic leader and leads out of a place of values and heart and passion and you know all of that it tends to foster a relationship of trust and centered around trust and what I just dis- I discovered in my interview was that that was lacking. That was lacking. So there were not only organizational barriers, but then there was that relational dynamic that was clearly missing between supervisor and um, employee. So it was good to see that my my gut feeling and then my actual research and my experience all came together and said, yep, yeah, this is it. This is what's happening.
0: And I think that's huge to have the numbers to back up the the research. Um, you know, I think that's a, a huge thing. I think most people go by their gut and then they, you know, I, I expect, you know, and, and I've seen this in corporate initiatives where like, well, we paid for this. Why don't people take it up? And it's like, well, they don't take it up because of you know, the reasons you've, you've researched. So, um, I'm a numbers guy. I always love the numbers. Now let's back up half a step. Um, you, you've mentioned that you're passionate about this. Um, what's the, the defining moment where, you know, I, I admire anybody who gets a PhD. Um, but I also think there's a, uh, you know, there, there's an amazing moment where something, they're so passionate about it. Um, what was the trigger for you? What was the moment where you said, I've got to do this?
1: Wow. For for my uh, dissertation, you mean, or my or just my career in this?
0: Just in, in general, um, you know, I, I'm always fascinated. What drives somebody to do the work, to build a, a thesis and do the dissertation? Um, you know, I'm guessing it wasn't a, you know, two weeks, you know, online, you submit a coupon and you've got your degree. Um, (laughs) I I know there's a lot of work goes into a doctorate of any kind. um, But yours in particular, I'm going to guess was a lot of data to wade through.
1: Definitely. um, So much work. I never have a very good friend of mine who right now, the running joke between us two is that she does. She's mad at me because she's in her last year of her doctoral program. And she's always saying, I'm mad at you because you never told me how hard this was. And I said, I'm sorry, you just have to kind of go through it. But yes, it's extremely hard. To your question is, um, I'm gonna gonna share a real quick story and and then the answer will be there. When I was six, when I, I had mentioned that I immigrated here from Ecuador, South America, and by the time I was eight, we moved into this one area in uh, Southern California, in Redondo Beach, and we moved into this home that had this beautiful porch, beautiful porch. And I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to make friends. I was eight years old. I was very social. I wanted to make friends, and so what I decided to do is stand on my porch and um, kind of rally the kids around from the neighborhood. And I would pull out my mom's favorite brush, and that was my microphone. And I would put on, you know, dance classes, and we do talent shows, and it was really an effort for me to make friends. And so, how I, how I interpret that now in retrospect is that I really loved building community. I loved uh, empowering and transforming people, you know, as I do now, right? Because here I am, flash forward years later, and I realize it all started then. I, you know, I included, it was exercise because I love to dance. And so it was some dancing and it was just about seeing people at the time, children, right? My, 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 my peers was to just have fun and let go and be together. And all the, the common purpose was we just wanted to have fun and make friends. So in If I look at this now through my adult eyes is that I've always had a passion around empowering and transforming the lives of people. Now my clients as well and create a safe space, building community, improving people's lives. And so I I feel like that's all where, that's where it all started. Now, the second part of, you know, what possessed me to have this desire to complete a doctoral, you know, degree, is that I come from a legacy of education, and I really, really didn't understand that until my older brother, who is Doctor Victor Silva Palacios, said, you know, we come from a legacy of, of uh, education, and so as I look back, you know, my my family in Ecuador, you know, my cousins, they all are very high achieving, you know, the doctors and attorneys, and and. So I come from that legacy, even though I came here at six years old and I really didn't have that much time as my brother, Dr. Victor Salva Palacios did, because he, he, he was 15 when we immigrated. He reminded me of that. And so I think it's it's just in my DNA. And I have um, I shared with you before our call, and we had a great chat before is I have this warrior spirit about me that says, if someone says you can't do something and then I'm up for the challenge. And, you know, I I, I attribute this um, warrior spirit to my mom, as I was sharing earlier, you know, that she, sixth grade education, my father, no more than a sixth grade education, they had a warrior mentality and a mindset that we're going to do whatever it takes to achieve this. And so those are one of the attributes that I'm so grateful is that a combination of everything and just the love and the passion, building community and all that. And then that kind of that warrior mindset that I can do it. It's going to be hard, but I can do it.
0: I love it. I think that that mindset is probably the the biggest piece. Now, um, one of the things I I like to get into is, you know, what's some advice you would give people? Um, At this point, it could be business advice. It could be life advice. Um, but what's the best advice you've ever received and how did it impact you?
1: You're going to laugh when I tell you. <laughs> I, In that organization that I worked in that I had I mentioned before, uh, I had an amazing leader. And she was the director of the organization where I worked. She took an early retirement and, um, you know, definitely not a, a, a retirement age. And so I was so upset that she was going to leave. because She was just amazing. And I said, why are you leaving? You know, Why are you leaving? And she looked at me and just said, you know, sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And I didn't, I got it, but I didn't really get it in the moment until later on that I realized this is such a golden nugget of information, you know ultimately, life is so short that sometimes we just have to do something different. We have to walk away. We have to change our mindset. So kind of going back to that mindset, that belief system, you know, and so I have taken that piece of advice. And I've applied it to my life, both professionally and personally. And so there are times when people ask me, I'm going through this, you know, x, y, z, you know, what do you think about it? And I'll go back to that wonderful piece of you know hilarious nugget that has so much impact and has 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 had so much impact in my life, which is sometimes the, that juice is probably not worth the squeeze.
0: Well, it, it, it's a good rule of thumb almost. You know, you can look at every <laughs> every aspect of of a project or your life, you know, and is it worth the squeeze? You know, and sometimes the squeeze is effort. Sometimes it's money you know, sometimes it's the emotional toll, you know, is it, is it worth putting yourself into it? Um, I love simple advice. That's very practical. So that, that wins it. My books. Um, (laughs) now when we're talking about, you know, working with you, what are some actionable items, people watching this or listening to this can take, um, so that they can improve their personal wellness journey, um, just from your expertise as, you know, Maria, and as a doctor,
1: a few things that come to mind. I and I, I look at them as uh, sort of mistakes that you know people make um, in their whatever you know personal wellness tra- trajectory or professionally is. I would say I would start off with you know don't set, uh, you know don't set unrealistic expectations, right. So for example in the fitness space I've had women and men you know share I want to lose 10 pounds in the next week how can I do it you <laughs> know it's like well you know it's not that doesn't seem very it's attainable don't get me wrong because it's it's done all all the time yeah. however is it you know the most healthy option probably not and so I would say you know don't set unrealistic expectations because if we do they will set one up for failure and not success until ultimately we want success the other thing is um you know they don't see it as a lifestyle change so you have to see things as a lifestyle change so in the fitness and wellness phase, it is a lifestyle change it's not about fad diets it's not, not about the trend or the quick fix right it's about It's about making that commitment um, that it is, you know, going to be lifestyle. I'm going to do this, you know, X, Y, Z for as long as I live. The last thing that I can think of right now is um, mindset. We talked about that earlier, right? The warrior mindset. I always speak to my clients about the importance of being intentional, whether it is on a daily basis sometimes we have to be narrow it down to the micro level of an hourly, you know, and so I'm going to give you a really quick um, example. I have a client I'm working with, and she was in Canada, by the way, and she's struggling with drinking enough water, right, and so I I have a 35 ounce tumbler that I have, I don't even have to extend my arm to reach it, and so I decided to share that nugget of information with her and I and it helped because she said you know I have to get up and get my water and then bring it back she's working remotely and so I said let's be intentional about that so it's even the smallest little thing so our our agreement was she's going to have water accessible to her in a place in the in her workspace where she doesn't even have to extend her arms if she has to extend her arm too much too far it's too far it's got to be right there even at a 90 degree angle, you know, elbow bend. So I go back to that. It's intentional. You have to be intentional for everything we do um, because we can say, I'm going to try. And the other thing is, I will do.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm going to quote Yoda. And uh, I I love this quote. It's do or do not, there is no try. Um, I think that's a really good lesson I've learned is, you know, when you try to do something, generally means you're not gonna do it. Exactly. Yes. And,
1: I had a fitness coach and back in the day, I don't remember if you remember him, but it's Billy Blank's. I was a tybo certified instructor and he hated and he he refused to hear me say, I'm going to try. Just knock that word out of your vocabulary. You're just going to do. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, that's probably I think that would probably be my second you know wise uh, piece of advice that i received: don't try just do
0: i love it well <laughs> i could talk to you all day and but i want to be respectful of your time um how can people watching this listening to it how can they connect with you what's the best way to learn more about you and and how you know find out how they can work with you
1: well a couple of uh definitely through linkedin i think if you and i connect and we can you know place my um, linkedin um oh my gosh i just had a mind my yeah. hiccup get on me the profile <laughs> um I will definitely that <laughs> okay i'm good old-fashioned you know email good old-fashioned phone i'm usually a text or email away i recently started working for a company um, as a consultant um and Flair's health and you may find me with them as well um they are an amazing digital wellness company you know that provides injury prevention in a very integrated manner that includes you know mental well-being nutrition and you know addressing musculoskeletal um readiness as well so you know you may be able to find me on on that space but definitely the social media linkedin you know, please reach out to me, uh, whether it is for fitness, wellness, coaching, you know, safety space, specifically in the ergonomic space. I'm your I'm your gal.
0: I love it. Well, Maria, I want to thank you for your time today. I really, truly appreciate getting to have this conversation with you early in the new year and sharing your message with my audience. So thank you.
1: Thank you. It was so much fun. Thank you so much.
0: to your wellness.